Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the show where we talk about what else? Investing in cannabis. Public, private, MSOs, startups, founders, investors. I think you're going to learn something. If you've made it here, uh, you're probably an insider. You're probably someone that wants to have their thumb on the pulse of the industry, and I can't wait to share with you. Super excited for you to hear the episode this week. We have Frank of Unrivaled Brands, which was formerly TerraTech. I go down to their office in Santa Ana, half office, half dispensary, very cool location. We had a sweeping conversation, really wide ranging from Corova, remember that brand? They own that brand now. Uh, And they're also an MSO, a growing MSO in a couple different states, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma, California, of course, Arizona. We talk about the different models there. They're vertically integrated in California, but they license in some other states. We talk about how that decision is made and how to maintain quality in those new markets. Uh, Frank is a super smart guy, been in the industry for a really long time, has a finance background, and we get uh, into a little bit about the stock, you know, where it is today, where he thought it would have been. Uh, It's, of course, not investing advice, but a really interesting uh, opinion there. So guys, I I can't wait for you to hear it. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Hey, if you listen to the show all the time and you get a lot of value out of it, do us a favor and just Write us a review real quick. It's super easy. And maybe put in something that you learned or something funny that was on the show. It really, really helps us out, guys. Thanks for doing that. Franks, thanks so much for having me here in your office in Santa Ana. Got the dispensary. It's a good world out here, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely happy to have you. And thank thanks you. for being on the show. Uh, Unrivaled. Let's talk a little bit about Unrivaled. Sure. It's an easy one. Uh, what is it? What's Unrivaled? So Unrivaled Brands is a uh, vertically integrated operation in California through all aspects of the cannabis uh, market. We have uh, cultivation, dispensaries, delivery, brands, um, and distribution. Uh, And the distribution is for both in-house brands as well as third-party brands that are complementary. In addition, we have um, brands, cultivation, and distribution in Oregon. Uh, and our leading brand, Corova, is also licensed in Arizona and in Oklahoma. Lot to unpack there. Let's start with Corova. That's a name that a lot of people are going to know. Synonymous with high potency, right? And that goes back, what, 10, 12 10, years, 10, 11 something years, like that? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the originals in California. What about that brand is so valuable and, and why today is it continue to be valuable for you? So I, I think, it, to your point, it's one of the original brands in California. And there's a level of authenticity associated with that. It's almost a little cult-like in its following. It's um, developed a strong following as a result and is a sort of cornerstone of both our of our operations on the brand side. And, and frankly, it's a, it's a prominent brand in the market. Um, and a lot of it comes from you know, just the history uh, of the brand and, and the, uh, the genesis. And when you think about the strength of that brand, do you think about number of stores it's in, top line, probably all of those, but what's really relevant to you? Yeah, we look at, at um, its placement uh, against comparable uh, products in the market, the number of stores it's in, um, and you know the top line revenue associated with it and the revenue growth. And mm-hmm. um, it, it also has 
various geographic aspects to it. So, for example, it's quite popular uh, in the East Bay area and in Oregon, um, and is becoming more so in SoCal, but um, definitely, you know, started as a as an East Coast or as an East uh, Bay brand up in NorCal. And I remember back in the medical days. I mean, there were some really strong edibles, right? Like maybe thousand milligrams. I remember. No, maybe not that I, high. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, we still really have, high. We yeah. still have Biggie cookies. Yeah. Um, you know, that are hundred milligram cookies. Yeah. And um, that's a you know, that's a pretty good bite. And I'm not sure. Maybe all the states aren't the same, but at least in California. How do you do that? How do you have a really high potency product? Isn't it limited to 110, that, that kind of thing? So it, it is based on the state level. Yeah. And there are states, for example, that allow uh, upwards of 500 milligram um, products. So mm -hmm. I think Michigan and Arizona, among them, allow for 500 milligram brownies. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, wow. it, it, yeah. <laughs> That, that, that's a big bite that would take most people down for quite some number Somebody days. better know what they're doing yes. if they're walking into a dispensary yeah. and buying that. Wow. Um, you have other brands. Let's yes. talk about the other brands. Yeah. So two other prominent brands, Sticks and Cabana. Sticks is our value brand, uh, one of the more popular pre-rolls in California and Oregon. Uh, and Cabana, which is a lifestyle boutique brand mm -hmm. that is uh, not surprisingly very popular in the coastal communities. And you developed these brands? You acquired these brands? Corova was, was acquired. Yeah. Um, and, you know, taking perhaps a step back, Unrivaled Brands is the culmination of the merger of what was then Terratech mm -hmm. and Umbrella Corp. Mm -hmm. uh, and that um, Umbrella had the brands and distribution and the dispensary downstairs, which you noted. And Terratech had uh, cultivation and dispensaries in East Bay. And it was really the culmination of those two that led to Unrivaled Brands, which was um, created on July 1st when we merged the two companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Terratech, a name everybody knows. Unrivaled, a better name, I think. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, part of, part of, um, you know, part of our goal is to, was, was to relaunch Terratech, right? Mm -hmm. Terratech, um, we believe, was the first plant-touching public company in the United States. And it got there partially by accident, or, or maybe not by accident, but by prayer. Um, our, my predecessors acquired a dispensary without regulatory approval as a public company. Okay. <laughs> and, and prayed and filed the 10K and, and ironically got comments on the 10K, not one of which was on cannabis. So um, it was purposeful, but also uh, a big leap of faith. Um, but, you know, Terratech had been around for 11, 12 years, and uh, frankly, a big part of, of our initiative was to relaunch as a new company, the phoenix out of the ashes, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Understood. And take me through the, the strategy of, like, building a brand versus buying a brand, right? Corova, a name everybody knows. The other two you've built in-house. How do you look at that as we go forward? Well, it, it, it's evolved over time, mm -hmm. um, and um, at this point, in the, especially in the California market, there is a plethora of brands, and creating new brands absent delivery vehicle, uh, by that I mean either menu, menu placement or shelf placement, uh, has become increasingly difficult because it's a crowded market. And um, so it would be, I think, much more difficult today to create a brand than it was in the past, just because the amount of capital that would be required to generate the marketing support for it 
or to have access to the shelves and menus would be that much more considerable. Very well said. I was at Hall of Flowers in Santa Rosa, I don't know, three weeks, a month ago or whatever. And you walk around and, I mean, there must have been 500 brands there, right? It could well be. And, and that's the place where you go if you're a brand, right? And you try to get the attention of a buyer or whatever. But I was thinking to myself, like, who would start a new brand today? And it's for the reason exactly that you just said, right? That your vertical integration allows you guys to actually make some money, yeah. <laughs> which is a novel thing in this industry, right? Um, I don't know whether you do yet or that's coming, but that's a whole different right. discussion, yeah. Um, I think the, the flip side of that is there are these brands that are very light asset, right? They're using someone else's manufacturing, someone else's cultivation. Now, they are gonna have trouble turning a profit, yet there's sort of less risk involved with doing all of that. Uh, you're totally vertically integrated, how much do you think about that? Like, can we be a little asset light in the licensing side? You know, take me through that strategy a little bit. So, I mean, it depends on, on where you're asset heavy. Um, and by that, I mean, having indoor cultivation is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Having a dispensary is much less of an asset um, investment than a cultivation facility, or especially an indoor cultivation facility. So it really depends on, on where you're asset heavy. For us, we have indoor cultivation that pretty much entirely goes just into our own jars or packaging. So we're not, um, we didn't develop our indoor cultivation to wholesale it. Mm -hmm. We developed it so we had surety of, of supply, surety of quality, um, and availability for our own products. Um, so, you know, from my perspective, um, it really depends on where you're asset heavy. I think the asset light ones are, you know, potentially going to struggle increasingly because the one aspect where creating a new brand today is a little bit easier is if you have a large uh, dispensary footprint in which to feed it. Mm -hmm. And there, are, you know, California is still a, you know, and Oregon are both still very fragmented. Uh, markets in all aspects of it, uh, including dispensaries. So creating a new brand today, if it's a house brand, gets you at most many, uh, at most, you know, maybe two dozen dispensaries mm -hmm. um, before you have to sell to third parties. And um, I think there's going to be a, you know, a consolidation. Uh, we're already seeing it uh, on the dispensary side where a handful of companies, 9, 12, 18, 24 months from now, will own a majority of the dollar volume of dispensary traffic. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a majority of the units, but certainly right. the dollar volume. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way to think about it. Everybody was so eager to get all these licenses. But where you have a license really matters. <laughs> you know, it, it's a big deal if you're in Orange County or L.A. versus in Bakersfield or whatever, you know. Yeah, and it's even more granular than that because mm -hmm. um, while it's statewide legal, there's an enormous amount of control at the municipal level. And you have some municipalities where there's very tight restrictions on dispensaries, uh, San Diego and San Jose, for example, um, and others where it's more convoluted, like L.A. Mm -hmm. um, so it even matters more at the municipal level. Uh, and even, even in a larger city may not necessarily be the best bet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we look for... You know, that some of the transactions we did during the course of this year were to develop a really strong base. Uh, and now we're looking to fill in that base in a manner that brings us larger, larger dispensary platforms. Mm -hmm. um, 
And to your point, uh, I think you used Bakersfield as an example. I don't want to. I don't want to diss on Bakersfield, <laughs> um, but you know, having a smaller dispensary and a smaller MSA doesn't provide a lot of value. Mm -hmm. um, having a larger dispensary in a larger municipality creates a lot more value. Mm -hmm. uh, a because it's in a higher footprint or higher foot traffic, more revenue dollars. Frankly, you have a much better chance of having better or good cash flow out of it. Um, to really make it worthwhile having your own brands in there, having the management oversight. Um, so, it, you know, it, it depends very much on the sort of the specific municipality. So possibly what's going to sort of level the playing field here is e-commerce. Right? We talked a lot about retail, but a lot of people buy things online. Mm -hmm. Cannabis is still kind of getting there. Um, Essentially, your retail is direct to consumer, but how much do you think about delivery? I know you did the acquisition recently yes. of the delivery company, so obviously top of mind for you guys. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and there's really, uh, I think, three modalities. You can have delivery only, store only, or you can have both merged. And you know, we're big proponents of having both delivery and storefront together. It gives us the opportunity to amortize inventory, overhead personnel facilities and provides more you know options for the customer um, the delivery only method has proven to be pretty difficult there's certainly some companies that are um, performing but it is a difficult road um, and to your point customers have gotten very familiar with e-commerce and delivery um, so really we think merging the two is the best option for both customers and ourselves in the economic return. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that goes along with the brand loyalty we were talking about. There isn't too much brand loyalty yet. And I think that's where e-commerce really starts to shine, right? Is you can have that relationship with the customer, newsletters and texts and whatever, which is pretty difficult today. Um, a little bit more on brands. You do distribution mm -hmm. and you distribute third-party products, mm -hmm. right? So when you go into a dispensary as a distributor to sell, sell into it, how much time is spent on your own brands and how much is spent on these third-party brands? And is that going to be increasingly difficult to, to reconcile? No, it, for us, we specifically bring third-party brands on our platform that are complementary. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, so our approach is pretty even-handed across the portfolio of brands. Uh, because it also it depends on any dispensary's customer base, its location, what the particular tastes are, whether they might like you know a an indoor high potency indoor or a sun grown, mm -hmm. um, and um, so for us it, it really actually is to tailoring to the dispensary needs and the customer tastes, and um, and you know the brands we have are, are complementary to the ones we own. So for us it's very much an even handed approach. Mm -hmm. um and how do you think about like last mile and on demand versus schedule? There's different models out there. What do you guys see as, as valuable? On the distribution side of things? Uh, delivery. So uh, it's kind of hand in hand, right? right. It's, a, it's a network of vehicles, but um, yeah. Do, do you see it more as a long-term customer that wants to order regularly or is this an on demand sort of customer like I need it now? And the economics in those two are, are different, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that, that appealed to us on Silver Streak is they had a really high customer retention rate. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
You know, it, it, you, you would think that the concept of delivery was really simple. Um, there are, there's a lot more process, operations, technology, and controls behind someone showing up at your door with a little bag uh, of cannabis. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things about Silverstreak that was so appealing is the operational process they'd put in place, the technology stack they'd put in place that had led to a really high retention rate. Mm -hmm. um, there are certainly others in the industry that don't have anywhere close to that reputation or retention rate and are bleeding customers. So their customer acquisition cost is really high because they have to keep replacing their customers. Um, so for us, uh, you know, with, with Silverstreak, it was a, you know, that was a, certainly one of the more appealing aspects to it. And one of the things that we are interested in, in moving to our other physical locations, for example, we are launching uh, Silverstreak Solutions delivery out of our San Leandro facility tomorrow. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we have, uh, we, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, we have two dispensaries in East Bay, one in Oakland, one in San Leandro. And um, Silver Streak has a 80 to 100 mile radius around Sacramento. Uh, so they touch on the far western reaches, the East Bay. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a pretty long haul. And frankly, it doesn't get all the way into Oakland, doesn't get all the way into San Leandro, doesn't get into San Jose. Um, and by opening out of uh, San Leandro, it gives us a much larger population base to bring the Silver Streak Solutions Got it. Uh, option to. That makes sense. Um, we touched on licensing and how you've done that. I think Oklahoma and Arizona, is that the two That's that you're right. licensed in? How do you maintain the quality of that brand? How do you ensure the consistency when someone's buying it in Arizona? Yeah, so we have a, um, a partner uh, that manages both for us, and we have uh, a long-standing relationship with them, and we have specific groups from which we procure uh, flour. Uh, so we've vetted that, uh, vetted that out over a long period of time and have feet on the ground uh, on, a, on a daily basis that helps facilitate sort of the, the management of the, of the, of the quality. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the Oklahoma market? Tell us something about Oklahoma we don't know. Um, I don't know that I'm um, sophisticated enough to tell you on you know, the, some of the details of Oklahoma. It's, um, it's a unique market for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear people talk about it, but in a vague kind of way, right? I know there's yeah. a lot of retail yeah. per customer. Um, interesting. I guess I got to go there. Check it out yeah. sometime. <laughs> uh, let's see. So let's talk a little bit more on the finance side. As of today, the stock was at 30 cents. Mm -hmm. um, What's your thoughts about where that is and why someone should buy in at this point? So I'm sure my lawyers are out there going, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, much I referenced the rebirth earlier. And um, as a frame of reference, we did a little over five million in revenue in Q1 of this year. We have publicly announced that we'll do, that we expect to do in excess of 130 million next year. Mm -hmm. I think our shareholder base, frankly, wants to see some of those points hit the board. And I think we are delivering on that. Uh, and I think at some point, uh, and this is my personal belief, that you know, more of the investors will get comfortable that we are on the right path and we'll start, and we'll start recognizing that in the stock price. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, uh, there's that old book, Random Walk Down Wall Street, and, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, we're clearly not giving financial advice on right. this show. Uh, but just from our own yeah. perspectives, um, 
I think it's going to be interesting. We're now very much in an efficiency sort of growth stage. Mm -hmm. There's less innovation. And I think for the retail investor, much easier to evaluate there, right? You can look at reports, you can look at earnings and say, okay, I like what that means. And it's a more traditional evaluation than what do I know about yeah. cannabis, right? That's got to be exciting for someone like you with a background in it that's growing and seeing yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your feeling on sort of that that new wave of investors or new money or more sophisticated money, I suppose. Yeah, it, I, I think, you know, if, if you look back at the last five years in the capital markets, you had a, you know, explosive expansion, maybe a little overselling it, but there was, uh, you know, liquidity and, and investment was coming into the cannabis sector in 17 and 18. Um, you know, there were a lot more listings in Canada. Some of the Canadian companies were listing down here in the U.S. And there was you know, very much a, a, a euphoria, if you will, towards the whole sector. Then we had the capital crunch in 19 and early 20. A lot of the companies retrenched. Some didn't make it. And um, coming out of that, I think, to your point, there's been a movement towards the public companies. Because in 16, 17, or 17 and 18, when you started having sort of non-high-risk investors come in the market, um, everything, everything looks shiny. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the capital crunch, and you know, some of that shine went off. Mm -hmm. And now on the other side of that capital crunch, I think there's more of a, of a desire to sort of see things, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, financial yeah. results and performance. And, and I think part of that is uh, shifted inventor sentiment towards the public companies and away from the private companies. Um, and at this point, there's, uh, I mean, I'm pulling a number out, 75, 100 or more public cannabis companies between mm -hmm. Canada and the United States. And um, I think, you know, the, the footprint of those companies and the breadth of some of those companies are such that there's really been a pivot towards the public company investments. Mm -hmm. Well, it's accessible, too. Yeah. Right? It's hard to get into private rounds of, of any value, for sure. Um, do you think that stock price is a fair reflection of where you are today? And the reason I ask is because it seems kind of arbitrary the way the cannabis stocks move around, right? Uh, maybe it's now starting to be based on quarterly earnings and things like that, but it would seem, oh, there's a new bill in the house. And so it goes up and then, oh, it didn't pass the Senate. It goes down, you know? How do you feel about that and being the head of a company that ultimately like has to be careful, has to be aware of that stock price? You know, from, from my perspective, it, it, while perhaps a little more variable than other industries, um, it, it is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at, you know, some of the natural resources, you know, oil, for example, you, you could wake up one morning, there could be a world political event that could cause a spike in the price of oil. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it, it's certainly potentially a little more volatile than other sectors, but uh, at the end of the day, um, company, actual company performance is what's going to rule the day. And mm -hmm. my long-term perspective is you build a good company and the stock price will follow. And, you know, I think we're building a, a really good company here. We've certainly uh, moved it forward quite considerably from where it was, you know, 12 months or 10 months ago when, when I joined. Um, and I think there'll be, uh, over time, just a reflection of that in the stock price. Um, you know, to your point on politics, 
after the um, senator senatorial elections in Georgia, uh, I think we spiked as far up as 80 cents a share. Mm -hmm. um, and on the uh, presumption at the time, with a Democratic president and, and the Senate with Democrat control, was going to legalize cannabis. Mm -hmm. Um, when that turned out not to be the case, everything pulled back. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, so we have that level of volatility to deal with, uh, but at the end, custom, uh, company performance will make the difference, and you know, other industries suffer some of the same variability. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up performance, because I think um, most of the MSOs have grown through acquisitions, right? Uh, and it's different to be a great M&A firm from actual operations. We're gonna see how that develops. Uh, how aware are you of that? And, and you know, it's a pretty big shift to go from, okay, we're gonna raise a lot of money, we're gonna acquire companies to, now we have to operate these mm, companies. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we merged with Umbrella this year, we acquired Silver Streak, uh, we entered into a definitive agreement to acquire Peoples. Um, and we did all of that in the span of four or five months. And that involves uh, opening additional dispensaries, integrating the existing personnel and operations. It involves expanding to different physical locations, the delivery operation. So we've, frankly, we're gonna, you know, we, we took September and October really as operations months. Right, to make sure we had all our processes down, make sure everything was properly integrated, make sure, frankly, payroll worked and health insurance and point of sale systems, um, just to make sure we had the foundation solid so that when we continue doing so, expanding into other geographic locations or other product categories, that we have everything down to as seamlessly integrate the, the, those acquisitions as possible. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very valid point. The skill set involved in acquiring versus the skill set associated with managing are often very different. And is that part of the reason that you joined? Was it like, okay, we need somebody to steer the ship now instead of the, obviously you went through the acquisitions too, or kind of what was your mandate when you came in, I suppose? So my mandate was to, to, um, to sort of update and, and re, regrow the company, mm -hmm. right? So um, my, our two founders and my predecessors uh, started it back in 2009 and, and they operated it for a long period of time, but frankly, they, were, they had their skill set, right? They had the start with a clean sheet of paper and get it off the ground skill set mm -hmm. and did a very good job of that. Um, but you know, to your point, between acquisition and managing, there's also a, a difference between starting and managing. Mm -hmm. And so my mandate was to uh, professionalize the organization, bring governance and controls and process and operations, and then frankly, to rebuild it. Um, because we went through a bit of a retrenchment during the capital downturn as well. I like and that phrase. Retrench. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so, you know, I had a dual mandate to professionalize and operationalize and then do rebuild. Mm -hmm. Got it. Tell me about the future a little bit without giving away too much. You guys want to acquire more stuff? You want to be in more states? What's the plan look like? So, you know, I've been very clear 
that our focus is on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And you're the leading MSO on the West Coast. That, that is our apparently. goal. Um, I, that is maybe a bit aspirational, but that is That's our goal. That's okay, websites um, are aspirational. And, um, and you know, so I've been very clear that our goal is to focus on the West Coast. And the thing I note about it is that California and Oregon represent almost 30% of the national market. California alone is 23, 24%. Um, and at this juncture, um, a lot of the large MSOs, public MSOs, are focusing on Midwest and East Coast limited license states. But you know, we had this conversation a bit earlier where you know, there's a common expression that brands are created here and cemented in New York or whatever the phrase is. Um, and frankly, given the breadth and size of the market, uh, it's a period, only a period of time until it becomes part of the national footprint. Mm -hmm. Right now we have a group of, of smaller, mid-sized public companies that I think are in a position to aggregate assets across California and to a lesser extent Oregon. So part of our goal is to focus on the West Coast, become one of the leading players out here, and to expand our footprint. Mm -hmm. And you know we have uh, as, I, as we've discussed, East Bay dispensaries, we have SoCal dispensaries, um, but there are certainly valuable metropolitan areas we don't have yet that we'll look at. Um, you know, as, a, as someone with a financial background, I, I think we're very much focused on having, you know, making good investments. Um, and, you know, if, if you look back at 16, 17, 18, uh, during the earlier capital plentiful phase, if you will, there was a lot of spaghetti throwing against the wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I very much believe that we need to be focused in an area, focused in a particular vertical, in this case, THC, cannabis, um, and to really build the, the footprint that we can. Mm -hmm. And um, so you know, the direct answer to your question is, yeah, we're going to keep growing. Um, certainly um, by acquisition, uh, that is one way. We'll also continue growing organically where applicable. More of the municipalities in California are uh, legalizing cannabis and we've, you know, we're pursuing, you know, organic licensing. Uh, that's always a bit of a lottery. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know how successful we will be with any one of them or all of them. Um, but uh, to the extent we're not successful in organic licensing, we'll, we'll try to acquire where it's appropriate and where it makes economic sense. So the black market still plagues California and other places in the West Coast. Um, people are almost like proud of it in some ways in this industry, which blows my mind. How do we deal with it? What do we do? It's not that people want to talk about it because it's not good for share prices and investors and everything, but what do you have to say about the black market? What do we do? It exists. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's somewhat tongue in cheek. It exists here more than most other markets. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's California. This is, you know, you know, one of, if you're to look at the home of recreational cannabis, it's the Emerald Triangle. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it, is, it is definitely more of a headwind for us here in California than elsewhere. There's no questions about that. And, um, you know, but that's, you know, part of that culture is what gave us Corova. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? So there's the Boy, it helped us create this awesome brand um, on the one hand. And then on the other hand, there's financial headwinds associated with it and operational headwinds. I think, you know, I think over time, 
some amount, if not a fair amount of that, will get reconciled. Um, you know, at the end of the day, municipalities, you know, to, to be very blunt about it, like, ta like tax revenue. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, uh, it means enforcing the laws and restricting illicit activity and, and, and you know, shunting more activity towards the legal market. I think there's also, frankly, demographic changes. So um, you know, we certainly see more older consumers um, than you would expect, not just within our dispensaries, but across the legal network in California. Um, and, you know, these are generally not folks that are going to go down to the street corner. Yeah. And, um, you know, on top of that, you have COVID and other health issues because, um, you know, products in our dispensaries have all been tested. Um, you're not quite sure what you're getting on the street corner. Not at all. And particularly on the West Coast, people are so health conscious yeah. about where their fish is sourced and all this stuff. It's only a matter of time before that catches up, right? And um, as we move away from the bulk of the market being really heavy users, you got to think that that brand and the transparency is going to matter, right? I yeah. mean, that's the bet you're making anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about you. Um, what do you do day to day? You got all these things, all these pieces moving. What's your day to day look like? Oh boy! Well, we already talked about you know my breakfast uh, <laughs> in our preamble. So um, you know, for me, it's it's really a function of working with our team um, across the entire breadth of the organization, whether it's the operational aspects or the investor outreach aspects or the expansion out. Uh, uh, aspects to it. Um, so for me, it's, it's really trying to lead our really good team in the direction we talked about we're going. And um, it is, in many respects, a good deal more complex industry than almost any other. I, I spent a couple years uh, in the liquor industry when, earlier in my career, which is maybe the closest comparable mm -hmm. uh, in that it's highly regulated recreational product for the most, I mean, you know, cannabis isn't all recreational, but um, is a recreational product and it's highly regulated and- There's large. no medicinal alcohol, I guess. Um, not anymore, <laughs> maybe in the middle ages, um, but, um, but is state regulated as well. So it's, it's the, probably the closest comp, mm -hmm. um, but it, it doesn't, match the complexity of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And um, so operating the cannabis sector requires greater levels of diligence and compliance and other things. So, you know, that also overlays my daily activity. What's your personal relationship with cannabis like? Uh, I enjoy it. Um, I am, I'm not a smoker, but I'm a very big fan of, of edibles. Yeah. Yeah, so you're a pretty regular edible eater, Corova or? Goodness, every night. Okay, <laughs> got it. Uh, it's and surprising how little people say that today, actually. Um, yeah, very cool. Uh, how about the beverages, gummies, anything else that you're into? Non-smoking, obviously. Yeah, gummies are my, gummies or cookies are my default of choice. Got it. Um, you know, I, I am not actually a seltzer fan. So, uh -huh. I, I mean, we have, um, uh, beverages in our portfolio, mm -hmm. and, and frankly, the beverage uh, component of the sector is growing at a pretty good clip. It's still small, but it's growing at a good clip, and um, I think is an aspect of the cannabis sector that 
is very um, sort of socially oriented um, and is probably the, the best alcohol replacement in mm -hmm. social environments. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, it's a growing market, um, but I'm just not a big seltzer fan. So Yeah, I'm not that much either. <laughs> um, you prefer Dr. Pepper, as we talked about. I do, and it's odd that I like Dr. Pepper and, and not seltzer. But I don't know. There's a lot more flavor in Dr. <laughs> Pepper, but that's a different uh, conversation. What's your biggest obstacle today in this company? Um, you know, I think um, I, I think we're getting on a firm footing. Um, the biggest obstacle, I think, is the variability of the compliance mm -hmm. um, and the and the changes in the compliance. So, by variability, I mean the compliance here in Santa Ana, where we're sitting, versus next door in Costa Mesa. Uh, literally the next town over, mm -hmm. is dramatically different. Yeah. And so managing as many different compliance um, regimes as we are dealing with. Remember, we work in Oregon and California mm -hmm. across you know, a bunch of different municipalities, and we have distribution, and we have delivery. And in many respects, they all have different compliance regimes. Um, Complicated. It's complicated, and then on top of that, um, you know, unlike things like cigarettes or alcohol, where there's a long history of laws, cannabis is still so early that a lot of municipalities are, you know, they, they put a regime in place and then realize that maybe there are things about it that they didn't intend or didn't understand would be consequences, and there's, there's adaptations to the compliance regimes. So the compliance regimes are different between the municipalities and they're not static, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a, you know, it makes the environment a lot more difficult in which to operate. Well said. I think that's a good place to start to wrap up here. How can the audience help you? Are you hiring for something or whatever you want? It's your time to, to push stuff. Um, you know, Try Corova. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, to be you know to be remarkably yeah. blunt about it. Yeah. And by the way, our industry is rife with puns. Yeah, it sure um, is. <laughs> so um, look, just give us a chance. I think we're building a really good portfolio of dispensaries and brands, and um, I think um, certainly would appreciate anyone giving it a try. Well, I'm going to go try right now. I'm going to go buy something in the store. <laughs> walk downstairs. Thanks so much for your time, Frank. It's been great, appreciate and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.